Hello and welcome to the Glide TV Recaps, The Golden Girls, where we are discussing each and every episode of the 80s sitcom, The Golden Girls. Today, we are on Season 2, Episode 9, Joust Between Friends. This episode originally aired on December 6th of 1986. So what other intriguing historical events occurred on that day? Well... In 1735, the first recorded appendectomy is performed by Claudius Amyand at St. George's Hospital in London. In 1768, the first edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica is published in Scotland. In 1790, the United States Congress is moved from New York City to Philadelphia. In 1849, Harriet Tubman escapes from slavery for the second and final time. In 1873, the first international football match in the United States is held in New Haven, Connecticut. In 1877, the Washington Post publishes its first edition. In 1897, London becomes the world's first city to host licensed taxi cabs. In 1929, Turkey introduces female suffrage. In 1956, Nelson Mandela and 156 others are arrested for political activities in South Africa. In 1990, the NHL grants membership to the Tampa Bay Lightning. In 2006, NASA reveals photographs taken by the Mars Global Surveyor suggesting the presence of liquid water on Mars. In 2010, the record price for a printed book when a first edition of The Birds of America by John James Audubon is auctioned at Sotheby's in London, selling for 7.3 million pounds. Uh, In 2018, we had two events, our two most recent on December 6th, 2018. Luxembourg becomes the first country to make all public transportation free to use. Also, on December 6th, 2018, the oldest known plague sample is found in the 4,900-year-old remains of a 20-year-old woman in Gokum, Sweden. So that has been our history lesson for the day. So what happened in this scintillating installment of the Golden Girls? Oh boy, in this episode we see a car pulling into the driveway and parking at the start of this episode. Next, we see Rose coming through the front door. She puts a bag of groceries down on the chair next to the door. And... Uh, she is telling somebody or something that they did not have to wait outside. So next through the door is a dog. It comes through the front door. And Rose says she will show it around the house. And Rose, in a deep, goofy-sounding voice, Oh, I don't mind if I do. Nice place you got here. Uh, she continues talking to the dog. And Sophia enters the living room from the kitchen. She doesn't see the dog and says, aren't you a little old for imaginary friends? 
Yes, Rose shows her the dog and sits on the couch and the dog jumps up on her lap. Ah, Sophia says that her Auntie Bet talked to woodpeckers and 1,000 volts a day stopped that. <laughs> okay, Rose found the dog at the market and wants to keep him until she can find the owner. Sophia says that Dorothy hates dogs. Oh boy, so we see a fight coming on here. Blanche comes in from the kitchen and exclaims, look at the cute little puppy dog, woohoo. Uh, it's not a little puppy dog either, so. Uh, she goes up to the dog and pets the dog and says, he likes me, he must be a male. Yes, Rose then asks Blanche, then you don't mind if I keep the dog in the house until I find the owner, do you? And Blanche replies, of course I mind. You can't keep that filthy beast in my house. Ah, uh, they talk about the dog. Rose takes the dog back to her room. And right as she exits, Dorothy comes in through the front door. And she has had it. In the last few days, she has been turned down for every available part-time job in Dade County that didn't involve selling cocaine. Ah, uh, guess that's what she'll have to try next. That'd be a bit more than a part-time gig, I would think. I would think um, so. I'm not an expert on the coke game, but I, I imagine it would be more than a part-time gig. Ah, uh, we learn that Dorothy has to take a 10-week leave from teaching due to the school system experimenting with a year-round system. Yeah, I have a lot of questions about this. So, Yes. I don't like, know if we want to discuss that now. Or What can I say? That might be in a day or so, or at the end of this. Uh, Sophia says if she had become a nun like she wanted, this wouldn't be happening. And Blanche mentions that maybe it is time for Dorothy to reconsider working at the museum with Blanche. Yes, but Dorothy states that the only thing she knows about museums is not to eat the veal in the cafeteria. What cafeteria uh, serve veal also? Must be in Miami. Blanche won't take no for an answer and will set up an interview with Mr. Allen. Blanche gets up to leave and we hear a dog barking. Dorothy says, what was that? And Blanche tells her that Rose brought home a dog from the supermarket and Dorothy responds, couldn't she just get stew meat like she usually does? Uh, Rose comes back into the living room with the dog in her arms and tells Dorothy not to be upset. The dog followed her home. And Dorothy states that Rose drives to and from the market. Did the dog follow in a taxi? Uh, we get some talk, sometimes with Rose in her deep, goofy voice, about keeping the dog. And Dorothy finally agrees, just for tonight, just for tonight. And Rose leaves to the kitchen. Now we're at the museum with Dorothy in her interview with Mr. Allen, and Blanche is also in the interview. <laughs> I have questions about that, too. Kind of strange. I mean, is that... that that's, that's not, not standard procedure. <laughs> that is not standard procedure, no. Dorothy tells about her background, and Mr. Allen is a little distracted. He says it's not every day you go home for lunch and find your friend in bed with your wife. And Dorothy sympathizes with him, saying it must have been quite a shock. And Mr. Allen says it was. Arthur has never come home for lunch before. Yes. Okay. Arthur caught him red-handed. 
Back to the interview, Blanche starts talking about Dorothy's qualifications. And Mr. Allen, eh, he doesn't seem to be the brightest bulb here. Uh, there's more talk, and Dorothy gets the job, of course. Now we're back in the kitchen. Sophia's sitting at the table. Dorothy, looking in the refrigerator, Rose enters with the dog. Dorothy asks, why is the mutt still here? It has been over a week. Ah, Rose has promised to take him to the pound yesterday, but the dog wasn't feeling very well. Yeah, Sophia says it was a hangover. Everyone gives her some weird looks, but she was having some sherry while she was rinsing out her underwear, like she does on Mondays and Thursdays, and she gave some sherry to the dog. The dog didn't know when to stop, so Sophia and the dog sang some Puccini. I think that's how you say that. Be Puccini. Puccini stretched out on the couch and took a nap. Ah, there's more talk about getting rid of the dog. Dorothy wants the dog gone. Rose is going to take the dog out to the lanai. Rose leaves with the dog and Blanche comes into the kitchen area. Ah, they discuss some things. Dorothy is going into work early. She told Mr. Allen that she would be in early today to get the press list information ready before lunch. Blanche then tells on herself a little bit by saying, Dorothy, you've only been at the museum a week and you know as much about that museum as, as I do. Yeah, it's pretty sad, isn't it? Uh, there's more talk. The phone rings and Sophia answers it. It is Mr. Allen. Blanche thinks it's for her, but it is really for Dorothy. He apparently called just to thank Dorothy for the work she has been doing on the Hotchkiss project. Uh, Blanche is a bit upset about this call. Sophia is looking at a bottle of sherry and saying she is just hiding it from the dog. Yes. Dorothy takes it and puts it on the table, and the dog enters and sits on a chair and seems to stare at the bottle of sherry. Now, amazingly in this scene that we just I just discussed, uh -huh. there, there were many times when you saw over Blanche's shoulder, you saw that that swinging door from the kitchen was not there. So then when this dog appears, it's like, huh, the dog did not know to go through the swinging door, so they had to remove it so the dog would go through. <laughs> uh, anyway. Possibly. Yeah, I, I was wondering every time I saw behind Blanche, it's like, what? There's no, someone mm -hmm. hold the door open or? <laughs> what? We shouldn't be able to see the living room. Okay, well, anywhere way at the museum, Dorothy is at her desk. Blanche enters and brought Sophia. Sophia says that Dorothy left her lunch at home and she brought it. Blanche is willing to give Sophia a tour, but Sophia says if she wants to look at pictures, she'll go to Photomat. Besides, Rose is downstairs with the dog. Sophia meets Mr. Allen and wonders if he is gay. Before Sophia leaves, Mr. Allen says the most prized acquisition of the library is a magnificent pair of guagans. Sophia is beside herself. She was married 45 years and she never I, saw... I, I believe that's Gauguin. Gauguin's? Yes. Yes, probably. I don't think it's Gauguin, but not. I could that's be the way wrong. it's spelled. Mm -hmm. Gauguin's, yes. Some weird spelling and pronunciation. And that is not my strong suit. Sophia is beside herself. She was married 45 years and she never saw her husband's Gauguin's. Boy. I don't know what does she think they are. What is a Gauguin? What does she think that, that it is? 
Uh, Dorothy and Sophia leave in a rush. Ooh, Mr. Allen wants to talk to Blanche about the banquet. Blanche says not to worry about a thing. She loves to throw a party. And Mr. Allen says he is putting Dorothy in charge of the banquet and she will handle everything. Blanche is not happy about this change of events. Mr. Allen leaves. Dorothy's phone rings. Blanche answers it and says that Dorothy was arrested on a morale's charge this morning. Then she hangs up. All right, now we're back at the house. It's after dark. We see the dog sneak into a bedroom and crawl into somebody's bed. It is Dorothy's room and Dorothy says, Ma, give me a break. The dye gel's on the bottom shelf. Uh, she finally notices it is the dog. She tries to get it out of the bed. Then Dorothy talks to the dog and explains that she even had a dog once. A schnauzer named Wawa. Yes, her daughter of two named it. Then the dog died and Dorothy decided that she would never go through that again. Dorothy leaves and goes to the kitchen. In the kitchen, we have Rose at the table as Dorothy comes in. Dorothy says she has tolerated that dog as long as she can. But Dorothy still, <laughs> I've tolerated that dog as long as I can, yes. And I'm still going to give you a few more days to get rid of it. Yes, boy. What, uh... <laughs> uh, Rose leaves to get the dog out of Dorothy's room and Blanche comes into the kitchen. She says she couldn't sleep because of the knife in her back. Dorothy needs an explanation. And Blanche explains, Dorothy stole the banquet of the only art show she has ever put together. But Dorothy didn't steal it. Mr. Allen assigned it to her. But Blanche does not know why he gave it to Dorothy and not her. Blanche is the one that has worked there for five years. She is the one that wears low, the low-cut blouses and picks up pencils off the floor. Boy, she is the one he gropes at the annual Christmas party. Okay. Okay, Dorothy says, and they picked Sandra Day O'Connor over you? Really? Wow, what a surprise. They have a heated discussion. Rose comes back in with the dog in her arms. Dorothy and Blanche leave very fast. And Rose talks to herself in her deep, goofy voice for a second. Back. Blanche would have made an interesting Supreme Court justice, I must say. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen very, those opinions. Very I would have liked to have heard her, heard her opinions. Boy, on some of those things, yeah. Yeah, that would have been quite entertaining, potentially. We're back yeah. at the museum. Dorothy's at her desk. Mr. Allen comes out of his office and talks to Dorothy. We learn that the banquet is really for Blanche and to honor her for all her hard work. He is writing a speech for Blanche to say at the party. He heads to his office as Blanche comes in. They throw back, or they throw barbs back and forth at each other. They actually make up for a second. Then Mr. Allen comes out and gives a thing to Dorothy, and she puts it in her drawer. I'm sure that's the speech he's going to give. But it's a thing. Blanche wants to see what that thing is. And Dorothy says, you don't get to see this thing. And Blanche calls Dorothy a backstabbing Jezebel and quits. She leaves the office. Oh my, back home, Dorothy and Sophia are playing gin in the living room. Sophia gets gin, of course. Blanche enters from the front door. There is still a lot of hostility between these two. Sophia spills the beans because it is Dorothy's secret, not Sophia's. Blanche feels like a heel. 
and wants to make it up to Dorothy. Ah, yes, so they have made up. Rose enters from the front door and says she found the dog's owner. Dorothy starts crying and confesses that she actually loves dogs. And Rose opens the door and a bunch of dogs enter as this episode comes to a close. I don't think they let you do that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe in the 80s, but I don't think an animal shelter is going to let you come in and go, y'all take uh, 12 of your dogs, please. I don't think, may, I guess, maybe they would, I don't know. I'll have to look into that. We'll have to go down to the shelter tomorrow, and we'll let, I'll have to try that out. A single lady like Rose, <laughs> no, they would not let you take um, that okay. many dogs at mm. once. Uh, so, some cultural references in this episode. Of course, Puccini, uh, born Giacomo Antonio Domenico Michel Secondano Maria Puccini. Uh, I guess that was standard, um, Italian names in the 1850s. Um, okay. Was an Italian opera composer who has largely been called the greatest composer of Italian opera after Verdi. Uh, his early work was rooted in traditional late 19th century romantic Italian opera. Later, he successfully developed his work in the realistic Verissimo style, of which he became one of the leading proponents. Uh, Puccini's most renowned works are Lo Bohime from 1896, Tosca from 1900, Madama Butterfly in 1904, and Turandot in 1924, all of which are among According to Wikipedia, the important operas played as standards. So that's Puccini. Uh, Hotchkiss, I wasn't quite sure. Um, now, I, I'm assuming this is supposed to be some sort of an artist that they're referring here to, right? Because they're talking about, like, since Blanche worked the Hotchkiss purchase or something. Uh, so I'm assuming they they mean some sort of an artist known as Hotchkiss. Is how I took that to be. Which, at least if that is the case, there is at least there's not one that has there is no artist with the name of Hotchkiss that has a Wikipedia page. Although there is um, a woman known as Maria Bissell Hotchkiss, uh, who is the founder of the Hotchkiss School and Hotchkiss Library. I don't know if that would have anything to do with it. Uh, But there's no artist with the name Hotchkiss that has a Wikipedia page, at the least. It would sound like that would be an artist or something, Mm -hmm. yes. Although there is a pioneering American motorcyclist known as Effie Hotchkiss, uh, for your uh, (laughs) information. Uh, Let's see, Photomat uh, was an American retail chain of photo development drive-through kiosks, almost exclusively located in shopping center parking lots. Uh, It was founded by Preston Fleet in San Diego, California in the 60s, the first kiosk opening in Point Loma, California in 1965. It became a public company in 71 and was listed on the New York Stock Exchange starting in 1977. 
At its peak around 1980, there were over 4,000 locations throughout the U.S., primarily in suburban areas. Uh, they were distinctive for their pyramid-shaped gold-colored roofs and signs with red lettering, usually positioned in a large parking area such as a supermarket or strip mall, as the photomat huts required a minimal amount of land and were able to accommodate cars driving up to drop off or pick up film. They also sold Kodak-branded film and other photography-related products and offered one-day photo finishing. Okay, back to the Hotchkiss. Yes. If you're done there with Photomat. I'm not. Oh, you're um, not done with Photomat? Okay. No, uh, the company ceased operation on September 1st, 2009. Now I am. Now you're done. <laughs> okay, Hotchkiss, if you go to artmobiles.com. Okay. Uh, there's Artmobiles by mobile artist Joel Hotchkiss. Huh. Since 1978. So... That would fall right in our timeline. I see. So he... Okay. Uh, oh. So they might be talking about this. Oh, okay. So he made um, a lot of mobiles, basically. Um, so... Okay. I've never heard of him. I never have either. Um, but that but seems apparently like apparently I can purchase some of his works. Yes, that sounds like uh, something that a museum might... Put on a uh, display of uh, maybe. Uh, how how much does his uh how much do one of these cost here? Can I find out, or do I have to like call them or what? Uh oh, I had to call or email, huh? Uh, uh oh, here we go. Uh, let's see. Oh, I can buy. Um, these appear to be around the two hundred dollar mark. Uh, for one. Uh, mobile, mobile it appears to be about two hundred for the ones I'm looking at here. Um, oh, these are six hundred bucks. Okay, okay, uh, so. enough of that. Um, <laughs> so Paul Gauguin, um, born Eugene Henri Paul Gauguin, uh, was a French post-impressionist artist, uh, unappreciated until after his death. Uh, Gauguin is now recognized for his experimental use of color and synthetist style. No idea what that means. And were distinctly different from Impressionism. Uh, toward the end of his life, he spent 10 years in French Polynesia, and most of his paintings from this time depict people or landscapes from that region. His work was influential to the French avant-garde and many modern artists, such as Pablo Picasso and Henri Matisse, uh, Gauguin's art became popular after his death, partially from the efforts of art dealer Ambrose Villard, who organized exhibitions of his work late in his career and assisted in organizing two important posthumous exhibitions in Paris. Gauguin was an important figure in the symbolist movement as a painter, sculptor, printmaker, ceramist, and writer. His expression of the inherent meaning of the subjects in his paintings under the influence of the cloisonist style, paved the way to primitivism and the return to the pastoral. He was also an influential proponent of wood engraving and wood cutting as art forms. Hmm. Uh, so that is Paul Gauguin, uh, very similar to Vincent Van Gogh there, and in, uh, in not remotely popular in his time. 
Um, I did not originally have this on here, but you uh, brought it up a few times, so I thought I would discuss sherry wine. Oh, okay. Now, first I just tried to Google, like, sherry prices, because I wasn't sure if this was, like, an expensive wine. Uh, And, uh, you know, it could be. Uh, from what I, I found, uh, most, uh, you know, like wine sellers online that I found, uh, depending on what, you know, uh, distributor or what uh, kind of manufacturer uh, you're trying to buy your sherry from, it looked like bottles could go from anywhere between about 10 to a couple hundred dollars a bottle, uh, depending on, uh, you know, what you want. Um, so sherry wine is a fortified wine made from white grapes that are grown near the city of Jerez de la Frontera in Andaluza, Spain. Uh, sherry is produced in a variety of styles made primarily from the Palomino grape, ranging from light versions similar to white table wines, such as Manzanilla and Fino, uh, to darker or heavier versions that have been allowed to oxidize as they age in barrel such as Amontadillo and Oloroso. Uh, Sweet dessert wines are also made from Pedro Zimenez or Moscatel grapes and are sometimes blended with Palomino-based sherries. Uh, I could go on. The Wikipedia page is quite extensive. Uh, (laughs) On this, yeah? Yes. Um, So roughly, uh, Wikipedia or historians estimate uh, that sherry was probably, uh, at least as far as we can tell, first introduced to Spain uh, by the Phoenicians around 1100 BCE is the likely guess. Uh, and so then, uh, since that time, Spain kind of developed uh, sherry in their own uh, land there. Um is roughly the guess, uh, and it is known that at least sherry was uh, quite popular in the uh, in the early hundreds uh, BCE or not BCE, sorry, uh, common era, so CE, sorry. Uh, so it's well known that it was relatively popular throughout Europe at that time. Uh, and that it grew even higher in popularity throughout the Muslim rule of Spain uh, throughout the five centuries from 450-something to 966, more or less, uh, when Al-Hakam II, the second caliph of Cordoba, uh, ordered the destruction of all wine vineyards. Uh, But the citizens... uh, (laughs) decided, no, we ain't doing that. Uh, Uh, And they appealed on the grounds to uh, the caliph that the vineyards also produce raisins, which feeds your army. So the caliph decided, okay, we'll only burn a third of the vineyards. Uh, So, uh, yeah, so uh, that's a brief look at sherry wine. Uh, Morals charges. Um is a very weird uh, thing. Um, So it's uh, also known as moral turptitude, uh, which is a legal concept in primarily the United States and 
a few other countries, but really not at all, uh, that refer to an act or behavior that gravely violates the sentiment or accepted standard of the community, uh, and it appears primarily in immigration law uh, from the 19th century on. Uh, now, the concept of moral turpitude might escape precise definition, uh, but it has been described as a, quote, act of baseness, vileness, or depravity in the private and social duties which a man owes to his fellow men or to society in general, contrary to the accepted and customary rule of right and duty between man and man, end quote. Um, so the classification of a crime or other conduct as constituting moral turpitude has significance in several areas of U.S. law. First, prior conviction of a crime of moral turpitude or in some jurisdictions, quote, moral turpitude conduct, even without a conviction, is considered to have a bearing on the honesty of a witness and might be used for purposes of the impeachment of witnesses, uh, which is essentially in a criminal trial you can be expunged from being able to testify if you have been uh, okay. arrested or on that. Uh, convicted of morals charges. Um, okay. Second, offenses involving moral turpitude may be grounds to deny or revoke state professional licenses such as teaching credentials, public notary licenses, law degrees, or other licensed professions. Third, this concept is of great importance for immigration purposes in the United States and Canada prior to 1976, though in 1976 Canada got away with all morals laws, and some other countries, uh, since offenses which are defined as having involved moral turpitude, are considered bars to legal immigration into the United States. Hmm. Uh, so... Essentially, this is a, a very unique, uh, <laughs> um, uh, American law only, and it can, um, and morals charges can be brought against for against someone for any of the following possible offenses: fraud, arson. Blackmail, burglary, embezzlement, extortion, false pretense, forgery, fraud, grand or petty larceny, malicious destruction of property, knowingly purchasing stolen goods, robbery, theft, transporting stolen property, bribery, counterfeiting, fraud against the government, mail or wire fraud, perjury, harboring a fugitive from justice knowingly, willful tax evasion, abandonment of a minor if willful and resulting in the destitution of that child, adultery, assault, bigamy, paternity fraud, contributing to the sexual delinquency of a minor, gross indecency, incest, kidnapping, public indecency, voluntary or involuntary manslaughter, mayhem, murder, pandering, prostitution, rape, including statutory, uh, an attempt to commit a crime deemed to involve moral turpitude, 
aiding and abetting in the commission of a crime involving moral turpitude, being an accessory to a crime involving moral turpitude, and taking part in a conspiracy or attempting to take part in a conspiracy to commit a crime involving moral turpitude where the attempted crime would itself constitute moral turpitude. All that is from the uh, Department of State Foreign Affairs Manual. Okay. Uh, there's also a lot, a long, long list of crimes that could not possibly be used uh, to bring morals charges, which we could go through, but um, I guess I might as well since I went through all that could. Uh, so crimes that cannot uh, result in morals charges in the U.S. Um, damaging private property. Breaking and entering, uh, writing intentionally writing bad checks, possessing stolen property if not knowing it was stolen, joyriding, juvenile delinquency, trespassing, selling items on a black market of any sort, breach of the peace, carrying a unlicensed concealed weapon, desertion from the armed forces, Disorderly conduct, drunk or reckless driving, driving with a suspended or revoked license, driving without insurance, public drunkenness, escaping from prison, failure to report for, for military induction, false statements that do not amount to perjury or involve fraud, any gun violations, gambling violations, immigration violations, liquor violations, loan sharking, lottery violations, minor traffic violations, operating a pirated radio or television station, possessing burglary tools without intending to commit burglary. Why else would you have them? I don't know. Uh, smuggling and customs violations where the intent to commit fraud is absent. Tax evasion without intent to defraud the government. Vagrancy. Simple assault, uh, which is an assault that does not require an evil or depraved intent or motive. Although it may involve the use of a weapon, it is neither a dangerous nor deadly weapon. Uh, bastardry. Creating or maintaining a public nuisance. Uh, Incest when a result of a marital status. Uh, so incest is cool if you marry the person, but not if you don't marry them, apparently, according to these laws. Um, okay. I don't know. <laughs> <coughs> Involuntary manslaughter. Uh, libel. Failure to register as a sex offender. Mailing a, an obscene letter. Man Act violations, uh, which is a whole nother, which um, um, I guess you can maybe figure out what this is about. Uh, it's known as the Man Act, but its official name is the White Slave Traffic Act. Uh, so guess what that one's about. Um, inciting a riot, sexual harassment, and attempting suicide are all crimes that cannot result in morals charges. So, there's that fun tidbit for the day. Uh, dye gel, uh, which is um, a medication used to treat uh, an upset stomach, heartburn, or acid indigestion. So, it's essentially Tums, basically. 
uh, but not Tums. Um, Sandra Day O'Connor uh, is a now retired Supreme Court Justice who served for an appointment in 81 by Reagan until her retirement in 06 and was the first female to serve on the Supreme Court. Uh, she was replaced by uh, Alito. Uh, so uh, that is uh, Sandra Day O'Connor. Uh, very uh, brief version of that. Uh, I have one fashion note. Uh, so when Sophia visits the museum, Blanche is wearing what I could only describe as an abstract painting as a cardigan. And it is a very weird look that she's going for there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we have two side characters in this episode. Mr. Allen, who's played by Reed Shelton, uh, most known for his work on projects such as First and Ten, St. Elsewhere, Remington Steel, and The Adams Chronicles. And our other side character, the dog, is played by Inky, who this is his only acting credit. So he apparently did not do a good enough job as his, in his performance here to get another role Apparently, Well, he could not get through that swinging door in the kitchen, I guess. I guess that might be. <laughs> um, so, no new sex partners as far as I could tell. So, our tally on that front stands. Blanche, 23. Dorothy, 5. Rose, 4. Sophia, 1. I have a few questions. Um, all of them stemming around essentially what is the, I guess, the setup for this episode Required 10-week leave for sub-teaching makes no sense. I don't know what in the world this, this is. I'd, I've never heard of this being a thing. It doesn't even make any sense that this would be a thing. Like, I can maybe understand, okay, you've worked for 30 straight years and you have 20 vacation days you have to use or whatever. Like, I kind of get that maybe, but 10-week leave that is mandatory as part of a year-round schedule. Yeah. That's not what a year-round schedule... What do they... I don't know what this year-round school schedule they're implementing in 80s Miami is. Um, My only thought would be that they have an abundance of teachers. They have too many teachers. So we can't have you all teach the whole year, so... Everyone has to take 10 weeks off during the year. Well, that would make sense, but not for the subs. But for substitutes, yeah. But not for the subs. The, the subs, like, I, I like don't I work, could but get half it. the year anyway. Yeah. So now all of a sudden I'm getting ripped out of like no. a, a third of you want me my to possible it? work week, of my possible work schedule. I'm yeah. getting ripped out of a third of it nearly. Yeah, that, that was but, just... I'm sure that was just a setup for this. For the museum stuff, but... Because... That made yeah. no sense to me. That made no sense, technically. No. Even for a substitute teacher, especially. I mean, if if this if she was like a tenured college professor, then okay, maybe, maybe sure. Uh, but a sub-teacher... And the fact, you know, yes, I was around in the 80s and... Uh, but 
knowing what knowing people or knowing things mm-hmm. if you know you're going to be laid off for 10 weeks starting may 1st uh-huh. you don't you're going to look in vegas a little bit yeah uh-huh. wait till may 2nd to start looking no uh-huh. you're going to look in february or when uh-huh. uh, when they tell you you're taking those 10 weeks off you're going to start uh-huh. looking then for a part-time job right but, and then my other question um so, was there actually a job opening at the museum, or did Blanche just bring her in like, hey, boss, I got a friend who needs a job. Can she work here? Sure, I guess. Because <laughs> like, I don't, like, why else would was Blanche in the interview at all? Like, I... Blanche should not have been in the interview. <laughs> I don't, I don't get that at all. Like, why is she there? Is it, like... Like, I could understand maybe if, like, it was, okay, Dorothy works here and I'm recommending her for a promotion, maybe. Maybe. That makes more sense, but... I mean, you and on your the boss initial may go interview, in Well, yeah, but uh, for, on the... That, but an initial interview? You, I don't know why Blanche is there. It makes... Uh, I don't know. I would assume... I had a lot of questions about about those mechanics of this I episode. I assume there was a job because Dorothy had a desk. So they, they yeah. have a desk available. But like Mr. Allen was such a doofus. Uh-huh. I mean, okay, we're having this interview and at the end he just goes, Yeah, whatever, I don't care. Mm-hmm. She's hired. Like, uh-huh. So why have the interview? Yeah. Uh, made no sense yeah that i didn't understand um the way he set up the way he got caught cheating on someone's wife the way he set that up was uh, i mean that's whatever it's fine you don't that's do that. fine don't do it that um, way but i mean i also wasn't quite sure people going home for going home for lunch like what do you get like three hours for lunch well if you like, live I next mean, I door guess what, something I, I guess but i mean there's not that many that like I had to, or I used to drive an hour to work. Right, it's like you don't come home for no, lunch. No, that bit. Uh, what else did I not understand remotely? Oh, so Blanche thinks they're having an art show or something. They're having a banquet. Right. Does she think there's an art show involved? I thought she brought I up think that there's, there's an, an art, art show with the banquet. Yes. What art shows have a banquet at the end? I think maybe a lot of them. I don't know. It's not any art show I've ever heard of having a banquet at the end. There are a lot of things with this. (laughs) Okay. And it kills me that... And then a cafeteria serving veal. Well... What kind of an upscale cafeteria are you at that's serving fresh veal? I know this is part of the show. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, that all sitcoms do this probably, but when Rose brought home the dog and Dorothy sees it, and okay, I'll get rid of it the next day... Then it's a week later, and Dorothy's like, she, that whole week she didn't know the dog was there. It seems like, like that dog is still here. Like, I well, think it's you'd been a notice. Week. I mean, I think you'd <laughs> notice something either that it's eating everything. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't think you guys have dog food. So what are you feeding it? And then, well, I want that dog out of here. Okay. Mm-hmm. A week later, the next couple days, like okay. Uh huh. No, if you want it out, you take the dog yourself. Go take mm-hmm. it. Yes, yeah, just mm-hmm. get <laughs> a lot of this stuff was just for this episode. 
uh, obviously. Uh, there's only two counts that I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course. Oh, girls. I have one other question. Oh, you yes. probably won't be able to help with this. Okay. Or if you can, I don't know. I don't really want to know why you could, but um, rinsing your underwear out. Well, I multiple say, times a week. Yeah, now two times a week. I have no I, idea. I, <laughs> why? That makes it sound to me like she has four pair. I guess she has four like, pair. Go buy four more. <laughs> I mean, come on. That she just wears in rotation. And apparently she gets skin marks in them. I guess. Terribly. She, she like washes them out in the kitchen sink? Because she has to go wash them and rinse them out and or whatever she was doing with them. I guess. Like, like is that really when you want to be like knocking back your wine? I mean... So, I guess maybe to distract yourself from, oh, I'm cleaning my panties out. But, second time this week. Yeah. Fourth I, time this month. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I wasn't sure about that part. I don't know if underwear was so expensive that you could only have two or three pair. I, I don't know. But there's no way you should have to do it twice a week. <laughs> no, I, I think they, they prioritize buying their wine and their cheesecakes too much. Uh, for sure. If that's the state Sophia's <laughs> so, to live in. Sophia apparently must. Uh, yeah. uh, okay, I think that that's all I got. <laughs> all right. The girls were mad at each other in this episode. Of course, Dorothy and Blanche were. Um, and there was one gameplay. Dorothy and Sophia played Gin Rummy again, which we've had before. Uh, our totals, grand totals for all things, there's still been four weddings or planned weddings, four physical abuses of Rose, four St. Olaf stories, four cheesecakes eaten, four Sicily-Italian stories. Hold on. Puccini is Italian. He's an Italian opera composer. Yeah, but it didn't say anything about that. Or She said she was singing Puccini with the dog. Well, yeah, but that doesn't say anything about Italy or anything in itself. Well, I mean, pizza is Italian. Every time they say pizza, I have to do an Italian reference? No, I would think so. <laughs> no. Okay. okay. No. All righty. No. Okay. That's definitely, I don't believe that would be a Sicily slash Italian, but no. just because she said Puccini... She also said Gogons, which... He's French. Oh, he's French. He was French, according to Wikipedia. Okay. Uh, there's 16 Sicily-Italian references. Girls mad at each other and not best friends seven times now. 13 sports, 10 games, with three of those being Jen and cars by Dorothy and Sophia. They've done that three times now. And three Stanley's of Bornak appearances. So, my rating for this, it's not a very, it's not a bad episode at all, um, but I thought it was kind of short on laughs, uh, 78 out of 100. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Glide TV Recaps, The Golden Girls. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure to subscribe to the show for more great content like this, and until the next episode, goodbye.